If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Hello and welcome to the No Need for Prince Charming podcast. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by City Fertility. With a diverse range of sperm donors to choose from and no waiting time, City Fertility are ready to help you fulfill your dreams of growing your family, just like they helped me grow mine. Visit City Fertility today to learn more. So welcome to this episode. Lisa, I would love to start by understanding, I guess, what led to you deciding to become a solo mum by choice. I think um, before COVID happened, I was really busy with my job. I was a flight attendant mm-hmm. and um, I'd gotten sort of, I'd always had the idea of wanting to be a mum in my head, but I decided that, you know, for everyone else's sake, it sort of needed to happen in an order where you met someone. So I was just dating and dating and dating and mm-hmm. that anyone had um my ideals that I was settling for though for theirs um and then COVID kind of slowed it all down and before that I'd done a bit of fertility testing and and just to see where my AMH was at and all that stuff and so um the it I was going to freeze my eggs first and then just so they were there your backup plan yeah and then I ended up um going to a clinic um through a recommendation and then I started looking at donors and I had a few more tests done with them and then I just sort of felt like I just needed to start like I felt like drawn to starting and I felt like it was more of a calling than waiting around for someone to be ready to start a family with me and but you'd gone there to freeze your eggs and ended up kind of just morphing into actually now I'm gonna have a baby well, I'd gone there with the intention of freezing my eggs and just waiting out for someone to to come along and then, yeah, and then the idea of doing it by myself. I remember telling my sister and her reaction was just, that's just such a you thing to do and I thought, <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> thanks. Um, but it was, it was this, once I made the choice, this the pressure and the stress of wanting to to go like to having to go on dating websites or to to 
to get onto apps or to to know someone who had a single friend or whatever. It just went away. Mm. It's like I made the decision and instantly felt like I was back in control of my life again. And it just felt really good. So, um, so yeah, I had um, two, I chose my sperm donor and I think because I ended up having two donors. So I had two IUIs done with the first donor and then he ran out. Oh. Yeah. So, um, well, he just said everyone had bought, during COVID, I think there was just a big sperm buying frenzy and so like, it was just if you didn't call and reserve your sperm and I reserved two for him and then we used them and then by the time I went back he had he had um his supply had expired. Uh-huh. So um I then went and had a break and chose a new donor and um it was really it was a really different experience. I it's almost like no it's like for you but I got my mum and my sister and my cousin around and was like the bachelor. Like we were like, okay, this guy. Did you do that for the first one or the second one? Yeah, for all of it. Yeah. The, um, he's 190 centimetres tall. No, too tall. <laughs> and it would just be like, call him. <laughs> but because I'm like, I'm tall and my, some of my family are tall. And I think with genetics, you never know what, what mix you're going to get. So um, I think just having a little bit more control over the choices I made and things like that. So I've tried to get it so similar to my family and and sort of like eye colour, hair colour, that sort of thing. And, um, and she just looks exactly like me. <laughs> but anyway, so did you, did that, you have a lot to choose from? Um, I I did and then you would you would sort of have to get in real quick and make a reservation about it. Um you, you you sort of, I don't know, you didn't feel rushed, but you felt like you kind of had to go through a few of them. So I think I went down, I had three, had like my top three. And then um, when, say, the first one wasn't available, then I would just go for my second and my third. And then I chose, my donor ended up being from um, the Seattle Sperm Bank, so it was a US donor. Yeah. I think my second one was an Australian donor. And that was no um, reflection on whether or not um, Riley meets the donor in the future. I actually would like to pen a letter to them anyway, just to see, um, because in Australia they need to be um, known once the child turns eighteen. Um, yeah. yeah, but just the the things that I looked at were, were qualities that aligned with me. I didn't have to date this person. I didn't have to meet this person. I just had to think about them as a person, as a whole, their upbringing and the detail in their donor profile was really important as well. Some of them will write a novel. Some of them write like they have the biggest ego and they just want to spread their sperm across the land. <laughs> so they weren't for me, but the the donor I chose, the thing that really hooked me was that he talked about how much he loved being an uncle oh, yeah. and that his nieces were his favourite people and oh, I just thought, just take my eggs now. <laughs> <laughs> but it just it just sat really well with me and um and so yeah I I did another IUI and did you get more than two vials this time like I bought so I knew I knew my game plan was we'll do one more IUI and then we'll go to IVF because when I did the three IUIs I qualified as medically infertile 
not just socially infertile. I'm just, it's a 10% chance that it works every time. It's quite low when you, um, when you look into it. And I mean, I've got friends that fell the first time with an IUI. I've got another friend that fell the second time with an IUI. I just ovulate differently and my body works differently. And that wasn't my journey. Like this was definitely the way things went about. was just how it was supposed to be for me. How did you find when you were getting those negative results with the three IUIs though? It's hard when you like, yeah, when you get your period, it's, I mean, I've never had any problems with mine and it's always, I've been quite regular, but yeah, when you're expecting it not to happen and I've never been pregnant before. So I don't know that feeling or anything that changes leading up, that sort of stuff. And just the fact that I was hanging on to every little hope Mm. and I was eating really well and I was, you know, going to yoga and I was, you know, filling myself with, you know, as much positivity as I could. And at the same time, sometimes it just doesn't work and it can be really hard. And I know that there were like, there were times where I just, it was sad. It does get sad. You know? um, but then I knew I had, I, I knew the IVF had a, a better chance. Um, my obstetrician um, put me on the pill for three weeks at one point because when we started my eggs just got really overstimulated and they were really really big and really really small and really really odd and that sort of thing so he just looked at my AMH at my age and he said if you were over 40 I would be you know a little bit more you know leaning towards us just getting one or two or three but you know we can work at this Mm -hmm. so I was still flying then as well so I would take my take little um, vials and needles with you. I was, yeah, I was taking them to Perth and I was <laughs> doing it all and I was waking up and I was, and I'm so giddy when it comes to needles. My mum's a nurse and she did my first one and I was like, oh. <laughs> and, then, and then COVID happened and the borders closed and she lives just over the border and I couldn't get her to do it. So I had to do them all myself, <laughs> which I know people do. And I got brave enough and I did it, but um it's amazing the phobias you can get over when there's something you really want, isn't there? Yes, yes, yeah, I agree. I I think I just really over overthought it, maybe. But the at the same time, like just being organ, I'm a very organized person, so I I just had to make sure I had like all the right needles packed in my little thing. And I I went to you know the airport, and I told the security people, I've got needles in here. Yep, that's fine. You know, off you go. <laughs> and then I'd be meeting the other crew for coffee and I'm like just gotta you know just gotta do a needle and I'll be down <laughs> so you're pretty open with anyone who'd listen what you're going through just the post, yeah just the, just some of the crew that I had known for for a good amount of time um yeah because if anything was to happen it would you know it would be a longer story than to explain but um but yeah I did um one two yeah we did two sort of we call them what do we call them we abandoned to beginning of the cycle so like I didn't have a full IVF cycle but we just did the needles and then they were overstimulated then we stopped and then I had a period then we did it again Mm -hmm. and then we sort of tailored it to you know like we just he dialed down a few of them and he changed bits and pieces and then it sort of had a better effect but it was still quite big and then 
he was talking with a colleague and he said, we're just going to put you on the pill. And I just thought, that's the opposite of what I want to do. <laughs> but they explained that that's what they used to do, blanket for everyone. That's yeah, it. just get full control over everything before yeah. start, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, just need to calm your eggs down. I mean, the whole time I have to give full credit to the nurses as well at the clinic because they were ringing me and they were, you know, after I had a failed attempt they or, you know, after an IUI didn't work, they would call and check on me and make sure that I was I was okay and I mean and previous which I didn't mention before the part of the the sort of prerequisite of starting this was I had to see a counsellor mm-hmm. I had um I talked about the legality side of things I've got a whole book based like I've written down everything about the donor their responsibilities or no responsibility um the amount of families they can donate to um the sort of like because back in the day when they didn't have any of these boundaries they would you know, you would end up, your your child would probably marry this other sibling, like accidentally, like you wouldn't, but you know, it it could end quite badly. But now with all these these rules and regulations, it's just um, it's important that that like that we're aware of it too, I suppose. Um, yeah. So then, so back to the IVF, and they um, we had, I think the last scan we did, he said we had eleven um follicles and so he was happy to do a retrieval and then so it was just everyone was waiting on beta breath are you going to do it this time are you going to do it this time as in my family like I just yeah. I just kept really insular and because the disappointment is so hard to explain to so many people and and that's kind of you know it's a personal thing I suppose and I'm an open book as far as as this comes you know later on but I think when you're going through it it can be really really hard to explain did you start out open with more people and then become more insular as it went on? I think so, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I told people what I wanted to do, as in like I want to be a single mum by choice. That's what I want to do. And then as you start doing it and as you start, you know, the process and things don't happen and then, you know, it's disappointing and you, and you just don't want to, yeah. I mean, you're full of hormones and emotions and stuff, so it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Um, but yeah, the, the, um, which we booked a retrieval in best high I've ever had <laughs> lovely green whistle and some Valium because I was so afraid I was going to feel it. And then there's this lovely window at the end of the room where this, um, embryologist sits and they count your eggs out to you like a lottery. And I can remember hearing Were her. you under general or twilight? No, I was like, I was awake, but I was sucking on a green whistle and I'd had Panadol and um, I couldn't feel a thing. You are maybe only the second person I know that I've talked to that wasn't under general anaesthetic for egg collection. A lot of people, I've I've read a lot of people go under and I asked them, I said, oh, are you sure I don't need to go under? And they're like, no, no, no. So New Zealand, I was twilight and here I was general both times. Yeah, no, I was awake and I was watching. It's fascinating seeing uh, them suck them out. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, as long as I didn't feel anything, I was fine because I then, like, thought about what they were, like, how they were going up there and aspirating them and I'm thinking, oh, boy, it's going to hurt tomorrow. But, yeah, the count just kept getting up 11. It was 12 and 13 and 15 and 17 oh. was my number. Wow. And I got the nurse to write it on my hand. And then, yeah, 
I thought, wow, that's fine. We'll see what happens. And I went out to the recovery room and there was another woman next to me and she'd done it before. So I ripped the number off my hand because I didn't want to upset her, but she'd got three. And I just, oh, I just, you know, you go through that whole guilt or gratitude sort of yeah. toss between, you know, I, I want to feel happy for myself. Like we've done the hardest part. That was the hardest part just to get them all ship shape and uniform size and, you know, the way that he wanted them to be. And, um, yeah, so the next day they ring you and they, you know, they give you a bit more information and I had 12 fertilised. Pretty good odds. But then I remember researching and even at the start the nurses said, you know, whatever you count is usually divide that and you divide that again. So I was waiting for four and I thought it doesn't matter one, uh, you know, one would be fine. Two would be great. We'll just see what happens. And I got four. Yeah. And I put the freshie in and and it worked. And I have little Riley. And then I've got three that I've left frozen. And I'll just see what happens later on. Do you go into it with intention that you'd want more than one? No. I would yeah. totally be fine with her. But I remember... Um, the midwife that did my first home visit, she did IVF as well and um, she talked about what she did with her extras. Yeah. And I think it's a personal thing. I really don't know what I'm going to do yet, but she actually bought them home and put them in her freezer at home. And they're not viable, obviously, but she didn't want them to be somewhere else. Fair enough. So I understand that, but I also think there's a lot of hard work that's gone into getting those to where they are. There's no more donor available so I have to make a choice and it doesn't matter it's just it's just rent yeah you don't have to make a choice yet no the amount of people that I talk to and once they make when you are ready to make the decision you know it so it's like just keep them there until you feel like you know it whichever way it is yeah definitely and like if you're unsure you don't want to turn around and regret having you know gotten rid of them and then you want them later if they're because there's a lot of things that could happen, you know, um, could meet someone, they couldn't, you know, we can't have a child together. There's a lot of things that could happen. Um, but also, yeah, we're, we're in a really great groove right now. And she's, she's nearly 10 months and it's just such a fun age. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So, the, <laughs> um, so the, yeah, so the, we popped it in, which is the most magical thing. I was awake for that too. Were you awake for that too? Okay, it's just a glitch and I was not careful. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you've got to see the little shot of glitter. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It's like a sparkle on the screen. And because of COVID, I had to go in there by myself. So my friend dropped me off and waited downstairs. And then um, I've gone in and legs are up and everyone's – and I thought just the whole – watching them come through the, you know, from the lab with the catheter and then they've got – the other one inside it and then you're just like oh god it's there and like I can't like no one like, I don't want to take a photo but I was just like is anyone else witnessing this like it's just <laughs> me and the nurses and and all that sort of stuff and and my obstetrician and and just yeah I love I loved it it's the most magical thing I've ever seen I've I remember going to my sister's ultrasound with my nephew and hearing his heartbeat and I just thought that was the best sound I've ever heard and then this was just like on top of that, just so much greater. Just seeing yeah, that. Maybe we should video that moment. 
I know. I think we should. Yeah. yeah. Anybody listening that's about to do it, video that moment. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. No, it was great. And then they send you on your way and oh, and then I've I've got no pregnancy tests this time because with all my IUIs, I did a pregnancy test just to make sure. And obviously it's not positive, but I thought this time I've got them there, but I'm like, I'm not doing them. I'm not doing them because it'll just be me upset with myself for doing them. Yeah. And then I went and did a blood test and I was checking my period tracker and I'm two days late. Did you feel any different? No. Yeah. But I was like, I'm never late. I'm always early or there's always something I can tell. And then my family sort of like, and keeping, you know, just keeping them informed and you know, I'm just going to wait and see and I'm not getting ahead. And then I think I was at my sister's house and I'd called the clinic to just follow up because they were going to bring back my pathology um, that day. And my sister's like, give them a call, give them a call. <laughs> we'll call you back. We haven't got it yet. We'll call you back. And it was getting to like four o'clock and I thought, I'm going to go home. Then I'm not going to know. And then, you know, it would be a whole day. And anyway, they called. And just to hear like, you're pregnant. Like I didn't feel pregnant and I, you know, nothing had felt different, but just, oh, it's so emotional too. Like just talking about it. And my niece was in front of me and she's jumping on the trampoline. And I was just like, and I said to the nurse, I'm just, watching my niece on the trampoline she's like you're not on the trampoline and I said no 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 I'm not <laughs> on the trampoline my niece is jumping on the trampoline and then got off the phone and then I called my mum because she was at work and I facetimed her and she's got a mask on at work and I just said oh I'm pregnant and she just cried and I just cried and it was just the most amazing thing and yeah <laughs> sorry getting emotional the day that your life really did change Oh, yeah. And then I went upstairs and went into my sister's house and my niece is like, I need to do a poo. And I went, oh, and I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just screamed. It was so exciting. And it was just, yeah, that was the biggest day. And then after that, it was like, all right, just got to plow through these weeks. And I didn't get sick. I didn't feel different. I didn't get any sort of morning sickness till week 14 15 like it was and it was more about brushing my teeth and like I didn't want to yeah put the toothbrush in my mouth and I just yeah I had to have some stuff beside the bed I used to get up in the middle of the night so I wanted like cocoa pops with cold milk I've oh, never yeah. eaten cocoa pops like as an I adult cocoa pops and frosties oh yeah. it was like the crunchy coldness I don't know yeah no it's the same but I was just an excuse to get up in the middle of the night and eat. So, um, at what yeah. point do you think you felt that you were actually pregnant and that it was real and happening? I was in Perth on an overnight and I felt her move. I felt that, that flutter that, um, I was lying on the bed and I felt like I was nervous about something, but I wasn't. And my sister and my mum had told me like, you know, you probably feel like you've, you know, but like you feel a bit off that you sort of got a bit of nervous nervousness going on and and so I messaged him and I was like I had the thing I had the flutter <laughs> and that was it but I talked to her every day like oh her I knew I knew she was a she at 10 weeks because I 
I wanted to know. I, I'm completely controlling my whole life. I just need to know everything, you know. So my quite, quite a common trait with solo mills by choice. Oh, definitely. You don't need surprises. Um, no, he. My OB rang me, and I was, I was on the, on a plane. I was on the ground, but I was, um, I think I was in Hobart, and he rang and he said, "So your nips come back okay? Everything's great. Do you want to know what you're having?" And I thought I was having a boy. I just thought, I'm going to teach him how to be the best guy ever and he's going to treat women so well and he's going to be just an amazing little guy and we're just going to rule the world. And and he said, you're having a girl. Yeah, of course I'm having a girl. Of course I'm having a girl. (laughs) And it wasn't like I didn't have the gender disappointment because you can have it in reverse, I suppose. Um, I've got some friends that had boys and it was was hard for them, you know, Mm -hmm. to have a second boy or to have a third boy, you know, that sort of thing. but I, I don't know. I just it was just like, of course you are. That's this is what this is what this is all about. You know, it's your mini you. Mm. So, yeah. And then I loved I loved being pregnant. I was just like, it was just the most magical thing. I'm so lucky that I had that experience. It's. it's How long really were you working thing. flying for with it? I flew to twenty weeks. Okay. And then I had a letter from my obstetrician that I worked on the ground and then I just waddled around <laughs> in my black shirt. I was going to say, it might get a bit squishy going up and down the aisles otherwise. But it's funny because just before I did hop on the ground, a lot of my lovely friends wouldn't let me do anything. You're not pushing the cart. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You just go sit down the back and have a cup of tea and, you know, it was yeah. really lovely. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really nice environment. I mean, it wasn't, it was sort of, ramping up again after COVID. So it wasn't a super busy time. Um, I was just happy to have my job back with stability because the game plan was to um, use up all my, you know, nearly 15 years of leave and sick leave and compile it all together. And then, you know, I've been lucky to almost have a year off. So. um, Aid. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really grateful for that. Um, but no, I um, I enjoy I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed just thinking about all the things and seeing the ultrasounds and looking at you know. I mean, it it wasn't all always comfortable. Like I had a lot of pubic bone pain toward the end and just didn't walk very far in the end because it was <laughs> just too hard. But I went to yoga all the time up until maybe twenty no thirty thirty six thirty seven weeks. Oh wow bit of a um, bit of a yoga devotee but I just loved the flow of it and she does some things now where she does little yoga poses and I'm like I wonder what she was doing inside while you're doing them yeah I know hanging upside down no it's really lovely because it was more of a like a grounding meditation type of thing like I couldn't do all the poses that you know that they would you know do and in the end my belly got in the way like <laughs> most of the time but um, yeah, I just felt so. I felt like a superhero, tired superhero. And then in the end, you get that insomnia where you can't sleep in the middle of the night, and you're awake at three a.m. and waddle down and get something to eat. Get some more cocoa pops. Yeah. Oh, it was funny. I did miss. What did I miss? Blue cheese and gin. That was what I missed the most. That's what you had straight after you had it then. 
oh, you know what I did? Have, I had sushi before I had her and then I threw that up. So <laughs> it wasn't even worth it. I did miss sushi as well. Um, but no, I, I stopped, even coffee, I stopped drinking coffee before I started IVF because um, I felt that it, you know, was causing me to be anxious and a little bit more wound up. And I still have not had coffee. Mm. Yeah. That's been like two years almost. Weird. But it, decaf is my friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it sounds like you've got some pretty amazing family support. Did you have any negative reactions when anyone heard what you were doing? Um, or weird ones? Oh, uh, I think the older population. Um, I know with my like with my dad, um, my parents aren't together. My dad lives in um, Vietnam, and he thought I was going to get married first. That's what he said, and. I mean, that's would have come along, yeah, maybe, but hundred percent. You know, he knows I didn't not try, <laughs> but he is just so obsessed with her now and just loves the updates. And I mean, he he flew over before she was born and waited and waited and waited, and I went past my due date by eleven days. And um, yeah, like when she arrived, he was just he was just it like it's like it just made sense to him it all made sense and I know that it doesn't sit with some people and that's okay because it's not their life it's it's my decision um, it doesn't affect them at all you just I think I just really made sure I had a good cheer squad yeah. because that's where you get you know a better response from your body you have that you know that positive mindset you can sit there and you can talk affirmations and chants all day and whatever, but line your chakras up or whatever you want to do. <laughs> but if you don't have people in your corner, like it is a really long journey on your own. I, you know. Just interrupting this episode for a quick word from our sponsors. Not only have City Fertility sponsored this episode, they are also extending a very generous 20% off discount for all of my listeners. That's 20% off IUI, IVF, ICSI, as well as six months complimentary egg, sperm and embryo storage. If you're just starting out or about to undergo treatment to make your baby dreams come true, head to the show notes for my discount code and a link to their website for more information. I remember just telling my mum and then I told my stepdad and he he's not with us anymore, but he, um, he said, oh, we can put an ad in the paper. We'll just advertise. Man want it oh that's okay <laughs> that's all right I'm not that desperate I just you know this is what I want and he was just so thrilled he came to my ultrasounds um, he had cancer he got diagnosed with cancer and he passed away when I was 21 weeks but he is definitely around he's definitely here and she has this little glitter in her eye where she's just met him I just can tell she just has yeah. a little thing so that's just enough for me. But I love that he came along with that journey and, and he was so happy to to see things evolve and, and it was just really, really precious. But, yeah, my mum was only 21 weeks as well for him to have been able to see you and see you so happy and see everything okay in the little yeah, world. and he, he passed away in a hospice and it was a beautiful place and I went out there and I remember holding his hand on my belly and I'm just wishing her to kick. Like, And she wasn't really, that wasn't, there wasn't, anything anyone else could feel then so you know I couldn't I, 
couldn't give him that. But I told him her name and, you know, he remembered it and, yeah, and we were with him when he passed away accidentally. I was with my mum having dinner and we went back into the room and, and he'd changed and, and it was so different because I wasn't worried about her. I knew that she was okay and that I just wanted to be there for my mum. And, and yeah, so I know that she's just, Riley's just got this lovely little person that is watching over her and yeah. watching her grow and that's really exciting and just lucky, I guess. But, no, I have a, I have a great family. I have a brother, an older brother, and he is just, he just loves He's he's a really like he's just really tall and and Riley just pulls on his beard and just loves. Uh, he just makes such a big effort and he he's not great like he doesn't have a lot of experience with kids and yep. and so I just love to give him time with her and he's put her to sleep. He's when she was really young, I just said to stay there and just pat her and she'll go to sleep and that just gives him so much confidence that he's able to to contribute and um, yeah. So, and then you're I'm an like, auntie as well, so you've got a sister that's got... Yeah, my sister's got two kids. So um, it's like a role reversal almost because she came in to my, to my birth. So I had my mum and my sister that I wanted to be in with me and um, they had um, organised to... Like my mum was going to come up to the hospital with me and then um, she would just come when she was ready, but... Yeah, I remember her saying that she just had never seen another woman experience this before. So it was just a really different thing. And and mm. I love seeing her relationship with Riley now. Like Riley's more interactive. So she's just like, oh, I'm going to come over and hang out. And, you know, and I think my niece and nephew grow her up quicker as well. Mm-hmm. She learns a lot of things um, through them. So, um, yeah. You spend a lot of time with them. Sort of the three yeah, kids. they live really close. So they... um. They come over and, and play and stir her up and then I've got an overstimulated baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, great family, really lucky. So thinking about when you first had her, was it everything you thought it was going to be? Well, the birth wasn't. No. <laughs> I envisioned being in a bar with the gas and, you know, and I'd done hypnobirthing and, I mean, that's, that was really valuable to me for a lot of reasons because it was really informative about the choices leading up to my due date and the things, you know, your um, stretch and sweeps and all the things that you were offered, all the interventions you were offered on the way to the birth. And I didn't refuse everything, but I just felt like, you know, as long as she's comfortable and her heart rate's fine and her like monitoring her and everything's okay, then you know, my obstetrician did say that he would allow me to go over one week. So I was a bit stubborn, but, <laughs> but she, um, I just kept thinking, oh, yeah, well, she, her head's down, she's engaged. So that's what I was told. Um, so I was just waiting it out and then waiting it out thinking, when is it going to happen? And, yeah, um, they booked in a, um, uh Oh my gosh, I've gone blank. What do you call it? A induction. Induction. That's right. Um, and I thought, oh, it's that's next week. That's fine. It'll happen before then. It's all good. Let's just not worry about that. And I didn't. And then that morning, 
um, well, leading up to that, a few days before we'd gone up to the hospital because I was just, I felt a lot of pressure. I felt, I just didn't feel right. And they checked me out and everything was fine. Um, and they sent you on your way. And then they um, had booked me into the induction. And then that morning I woke up and she wasn't as busy as she mm-hmm. usually was. Because you know how you feel, you sort of get a bit of a rhythm with them. You know, she would sort of wake early in the morning and then other hiccups. She'd always have hiccups. So, like, I would know, you know, you would know what's going on. And this, it sort of started to just not be as busy. So I messaged my mum and said, you know, I don't, she's not, she's not moving as much. And mum just got in the car and she's like, no, we're not doing, we're not mucking around till three o'clock this afternoon. We're just going to go in this morning and we'll sort it out. So it's um the... The um, I had the gel, mm-hmm. and yeah, within an hour, we'd gone back to the car to collect all my stuff, come back, and it had begun. And I just felt uncomfortable, like just a lot of back pain, um, that sort of thing. So, just started my yoga breathing, just started doing all the little things, all my little toolkits, that sort of stuff. We had prepped for obviously a nice water birth. So I'd bought a bunch of stuff with me. We bought lots of little snacks and things and we didn't get into any of that. <laughs> so I went, so it was 1 p.m. in the afternoon. I got induced and then I remember looking at the timestamps on like on the photos that my sister took and thinking, oh, my gosh, I still... Like I'm still, I'm just like it was. I think it was deemed early labour, but they couldn't. They they did a check. The first check they did, they said you're not dilated at all. Um, so we can do another one in six hours. We'll just see, you know, what goes on from there. And I didn't want to have another one in six hours. I just thought if it's not, you know, because typically your first one they like to say, you know, it just needs a little bit of. We need a little bit of an in- intervention. And I thought, no, I don't. I don't want too much interruption unless she's in distress. I really just want to see how we go with this. And I'm not going to be a hero by laboring for 40 hours and then, you know, nothing working out. I just want to see how things go. And the, I had a really lovely midwife and we used to joke because her husband worked for cafe. So we were talking about how pilot competition, you know, bits and pieces and how, you know, it was, it was just nice to have someone that was really, um, that was really supportive and, and just watching things and and they came back into the room at one point and they said, you know, she's getting a little bit distressed. We can't tell because I wasn't having breaks between my contractions that were regular. It was just sporadic. So I was really hypersensitive to the gel and um, which happens a lot apparently. My sister had it happen to her. So they sort of said, look, we're keeping an eye on her. We'll just... Like they weren't suggesting anything, but they were just saying like, this is where we're at and this is the time. And I think it was about, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And and all I'm doing is just like, I think I, they'd given me a muscle relaxant or something, some, not maybe not that, but like they'd given me something to help my body relax. Because I was just so like, everything was just so locked up in my pelvis and, and then that didn't even work. And so... I was just swaying. I was just swaying and, you know, moving around and not being on the bed. And um, I threw up. 
my sushi and <laughs> and the bag had a hole in it. So my sisters and my mom were just like mopping up all this woman. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it wasn't even worth eating. But then, um, you know, I got to the point where I, I felt like I just want, I just, I wanted her to be okay. And we're just going to like, I'm okay with a Caesar. I'm okay with a cesarean. I don't mind. It doesn't matter. And like I said to mum, you know, when I'd come out of um, one of my contractions, it was, it was just like, you get this clarity and you think I need to get my message across quickly before the next one starts. So I just said, you know, just if she need if she needs, if she needs to come out, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. It's like, 11 30 like sort of getting toward midnight um and the minute you make the decision you know they just snap into action i had ted stockings on the guy running in do it like do it it was just it wasn't panic but it was just urgency of care and so um wheeled me down to the or and there was i think i was about 20 people in there i got to choose my own music i had listened to this yoga lovely playlist that i had cultivated for months and it was just <laughs> beautiful and it was and i was so over it at the end i said to the guy can you just play some r&b i don't care like i think she came out to tupac pretty sure <laughs> which was really cool but it was um it was nice like my mum had to wait in this other room while i had my epidural and I remember holding, I was holding two separate hands. It was a male and a female hand. And they were just asking, like, well, you're the one that used the donor. Oh, my gosh, we want to know all about you. Like, we can't <laughs> wait to see what she looks like. And and I was just breathing through it. And I think the epidurals, like, startles you when they first, like, the needle first goes in. But then, like, it was fine after that. Couldn't feel my legs. It was just, like, up you go. And, and then, yeah, my mum came in. And then she was right beside me, all scrubbed up. And she's seen a cesarean before, like years ago as a nurse, but not your daughter and not in the middle of the night. And Pretty well, massive surgery. So, yeah, that would be. Yeah, it is huge. And, and you don't realise until you've had it how involved it is. And um, But there was a nurse running around with my mum's phone taking a thousand photos of everything and every angle. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they lowered the curtain and out she came and the the um, surgeon showed me or the doctor showed me where she was stuck. So she was on a syncretism angle, which means her head was on a little angle. So she wasn't actually hitting the hitting the point where she needed to help me dilate. So it was almost like. She was never coming by herself then. No, and it's okay because it was amazing. It was the most magical thing seeing her. And then she screamed and she did a big wee. <laughs> and then they, they took her off over to the other side to, to um, you know, clean her up and everything. And I thought, oh, my birth plan, because I had a, a birth map, not a plan. Like I had a let's go here if this goes here and let's go there if that goes there. And I said to mum, don't wipe her down too much. Well, don't, you know, but she was so, like she had all this little dried skin because she was in there for so long. She was just all like little bits of flaky skin all over her and, and they brought her over and she's so squishy and it was such a surreal experience. Like that's mine. I just made that and here she is. And somebody's going to let me take her home? Oh, no, that, you're not there yet. You're still in like in that moment. But the the just it's just so surreal and 
they're saying like she's so gorgeous and I'm like you can't tell that now like you can't tell that from she's all squished up like anyway they popped her on my chest and I remember when they um first like took down all the the curtains between you and and your belly and I saw my toes and I haven't I seen them for months <laughs> I know I thought that was really cool um but the yeah the team were really good they were really helpful and I mean even the anesthetist he had to recalculate my height and he had to tilt the table so my head was down because it wasn't coming like the, the drugs weren't flying up fast enough through my body because he's you know they do the ice test and they check if you can feel this you can feel this and and he um he was like can you feel this and I was like yeah he's like oh okay hang on <laughs> and I tilt the table back give us a minute so like they just all there's like a fine-tuned machine and then they wheel you out and she's on your chest and that was all just a blur just looking at her and then I just watched her for the first night and the second night just to see that she was breathing which I think everybody does you probably still do it now a little bit too don't you I watch the monitor way too much <laughs> but that's just what you do no and um yeah and her name's Riley Margaret and she was born on the 18th of May and I'm on the 18th of March and she was transferred on the 18th of August. So Ooh, lucky number there. But yeah. a lot of 18. Yeah. It's really, really special. Not planned. <laughs> but um, no, it was, it was good. It was, the, it was the birth that I needed and I wasn't ashamed of it. And I didn't feel like I was defeated by having a Caesar. There was no way because by the time they checked me the second time, my cervix had softened and moved forward, but it was not anywhere near ready to go. So it worked out. You have her and that's all that matters. Oh, no, that's it. Yeah. And so how is life as a solo mum? Is it what you imagined it would be? Um. Yeah, I've actually, it's, it's a job. It's like, it's like, it's the most amazing job I've ever had. Mm -hmm. It's, hard sometimes it's hard when when you do have to really do it on your own and you don't have people dropping in or that sort of thing um I think that she picks up on a lot of my energy as well so if mm. I'm like even tonight I thought I'm not gonna give her any indication that I need to be somewhere and do something at a certain time because she won't go to sleep <laughs> so yeah no she don't sleep fine but we just have our own little mix. Um, we have a really lovely little little life and she she surprises me. Like she stood up today and didn't oh. hold on to anything. And I thought, oh, my God, I need to be, need to be on this. I need to be careful because she only started crawling a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And it's just like she's just wanting to do this thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. But I love seeing things that she learns. You know, and the words that she's picking up now, like, you know, do you want to hold the spoon? You know, can you give a kiss to mummy? I mean, I even feel like saying mummy, like I, that's such a foreign thing. Like my mum's my mum, my sister's a mum. I've only started realising now that I'm a mum. It's so weird, but it's just, it's a new label. It's just a new, you know, a new title, like, you know, a new version of yourself. Wait until you get mummy, 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 mummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at myself. I'm surprised at what I've been able to do. I've got um, a lovely group of friends that I've made through the health clinic. So I've got a little mum's group and we get together once a week and they are just so supportive. And today um, one of them told me, she's just like, you're doing such a great job. You are. She's like, you know, I've got a partner. We've all got our partners and you are on your own. And, you know, she is just thriving and she's happy and look at her and that's because of you. And it's so lovely to have that encouragement because you don't see it because you're doing, you're with her all the time. You're just doing the things that you do. And you never have a chance to step back. So it's really, really nice to hear that from from people that see what you're doing. So, yeah. Now I'm excited about her and, and the things that are to come and just looking at her little mind tick over and learning things and getting excited about things. And, and we struggle with some things, but then other times we're okay. And, you know, we just started daycare. So mm, ball game. Yeah. But two days in and she's done really well. Just got to wait for the sicknesses to come and for the things <laughs> for her to bring home. But, no, it's good. It's It's actually better for me than I thought it would be because I was worried about, oh, will she sleep okay? Will she do this okay? Will she eat? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I had this like a day to myself this week, which I have not had for a really long time. And I was it amazing. I was like a kid in the candy store for the first hour. I didn't know what to do, but I'd booked a few things in and it was just a really lovely, lovely day. And then picked her up and it was just so excited to to go there and be with them. And it's just like you get a little bit of a a refresh, like a reset. Yeah. So if you look back now, is there anything you think you would have done differently? Or anything you've learned that you think other people should think about? The thing I think is the most important is that you realise that your voice is the most important part of this journey and you might not know as much at the beginning, but once you're underway, that knowledge is power and you can, you know, you can ask as many questions as you need to. I feel like in the beginning... Um, I went along with a few things because I thought that that was what was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you are handing money over and you are looking at a budget for it, you are, um, you know, you need to think about what suits you the most because, you know, some some couples will go through IVF and they'll just do, you know, rounds and rounds and rounds and and some single um women will do that as well and that's a really hard road i was really grateful that it happened the first time i was really grateful and really lucky um because i don't know how i would go financially if i had to do it again i you know obviously i've got family and i could ask for support but it would be something i'd have to think about you know um i think you need to ask as many questions as you need to I think, um, yeah, just checking in with, with the nurses, knowing that you've got support with them, finding a good obstetrician who treats you as the individual that you are. Mm -hmm. That's what mine was like. He, he, he knew that 
it was a bit different with me because maybe in the past it's been different with other other women but he didn't put me in a cookie cutter and just say okay this is what I do all the time so this is what you need for you it was really individualized and he was so so excited about my pregnancy he has he has delivered 5,000 babies and he was so excited about my little one pregnancy and and even when I took her in to meet him like it was just like to see him so happy for me with that was just that just made it all so worth it yeah yeah Yeah, I feel that if I could go back it would be it would be just making sure that I felt comfortable every step like if there was something I wasn't sure about just to ask yeah because you can't ask later on and you can't ask when you know it's too late so yeah and if anyone's kind of on the fence about whether this is the right journey for them what would you say sit in the decision for a while yeah like I guess with all my choices in life like being a Pisces very sort of go with the flow and my imagination can run really wild but I didn't this is this is better than I thought it would be this is far beyond anything I could have imagined you know um I still wake up every day and think you know, we've got this little life together now and I'm so proud of it and I love talking about it to people. I love, you know, the first thing I say, I had her with a donor spot. <laughs> She's all mine. <laughs> I think you get to a point in your life where you, you've made enough decisions based on what other people think you should do and this is your turn to just decide what it is that you really, really want. So, yeah. No regrets. Go and get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the support network, and especially this, like even all my friends that have, have got husbands and partners and, and they're supportive and then, you know, you dive into the single mum world and then, you know, I've got two another friend that had a baby three months ago on her own, mm-hmm. another friend who is thinking about it, and I absolutely cheer them on. I'm so like happy that I was able to make Riley and to, you know, to build this little world for her. And, and, you know, I want that for people that want it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story tonight, Lisa. It's okay. And looking forward to see little Riley grow up and everyone to hear this episode. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.